RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Season 5, Episode 7. Comments on the Lorelei Signal, May 13th, 1973. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back, all you Star Trek fans, all you background fans, all you canonistas, I say that lovingly, and of course, especially, all of our Trekophiles spelled with an F. Hey, we've got a special one here. We're going to dive back into the world of sides and Star Trek this week. And as usual, um, take a look at the document. It's right there on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. We're the only podcast that gives you paperwork. <laughs> and um, take a sample here. Listen to this bit. I'll be right back with a brand new guest for the show. Stick around. Not meteors. Meteors result from the heat generated when a meteoroid enters the atmosphere. Not meteoroids either, in my opinion. In space, meteoroids would not emit light. They would just sit there and be black rocks. Furthermore, a ship like the Enterprise would probably be equipped to deal with meteoroids, which would usually have a small density and are a thousand to ten thousand times less likely to be in space as in a solar system. How about an asteroid or a comet? How about an asteroid or a comet? Yes. <laughs> or a comet comet. Yes, this uh, it stays with Star Trek all the way through. Um, I know during the Berman era, I saw it firsthand, and I know it's happening, obviously, with all the shows in production now. We're in a golden age of Star Trek. And you know what? One of the new lights of our golden age of Star Trek right now, I thought I did that, our new guest this week, uh, delighted to have her with us. She's, among many other things, is serving as uh, the science advisor, one of the science advisors for the current crop of Star Trek. So, Dr. Aaron McDonald, I'm so thrilled to welcome you to the Trek Files. Yay, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here and discuss this stuff. It's just, it's awesome. Now, I have to say that uh, anyone who has been to Vegas the last couple of years or has taken the cruise or just has been lucky to see you just over the years in L.A. and at different conferences or fan gatherings is been lucky enough to hear you and you've got what a twitch channel i know youtube also i mean you're out there so i'm glad you could share some time with us yes indeed yeah i mean my big thing is just i love using science fiction to teach science you know background in astrophysics and doing research but my true passion really is is teaching and the entertainment industry and so bringing those together is just uh, it's a blast i love it well i mean we're in this youtube generation we're, we're in the t- media-drenched generation now, but back in the day, and our document this week is from the glory days of the animated series in the 70s, but, you know, the 60s and the original series, Joan Pierce and um, and Kellum DeForest were, were specialty researchers that helped TV and film, and they, if they weren't scientists themselves, they had a cadre of experts in all the different fields, just like a reporter would have, you know, an old-school Rolodex of experts to go to for their stories. So it was with the TV writers, and that was kind of a rarefied specialty. Now I think everybody who's got it any field, you know, medical or scientific or law or police or whatever it is, can hire themselves out as a as an advisor. And, of course, some are just doing it for the quality to have an expertise, including science, and be able to know what 
um, what how TV writers work and how to be helpful and how not to be helpful. And what blows me away is we've had some famous ones over the years. You're doing that now. Let's talk about that, but also to the filter of this is just the animated series, and here Dorothy and Jean have hired a science advisor for classing up Saturday morning. I mean, what, how did that strike you when I said this, when you saw this? Did you have any I, idea? I love it because, you know, we have right now two new animated series that are happening. We have Lower Decks and we have um, the Untitled Nickelodeon series that will be coming out. And so it's a resurgence of not just Star Trek, but animated Star Trek. And, you know, those series as well want to get the science right. And it's so funny when you see that from like a, a cartoon perspective <laughs> that that you want to be able to animate star systems and not just get the dialogue right, but also get the animation side of it right. And that's what really stood out to me in this comment here, that they were saying that it's not just the dialogue, but we also, you know, the, the graphic side of it that we want to be aware of. Not just the concept canon, but the, the science, the visual science canon, anyway, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was going to say, we've got like, so we have like the time travel element to this, but this is, as you were saying, is so relevant to today. It's really the first toe in the water back into animation. By the way, I call, until we get the, the, the official name or they settle on it, I call that, for shorthand, I call it hashtag Nick Trek, just so you <laughs> It's All right, very awesome. compact. Anyway, you don't have to do that. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> That's but okay. for one thing, I, this is a sign of where Dorothy and Jean are coming from. Everything about the animated series blew normal Saturday morning away. A lot of people said it was. And we've had Fred Bronson on, who was writer before and after this. But, uh, you know, the comment is that Star Trek in the 70s was just too good for Saturday morning. Or it was like nothing Saturday morning TV had seen. You know, it was not a typical kitty cartoon. Even one that had an aspiration to it. And the fact that Dorothy and Jean go, the guy that wrote this memo is Harvey Lynn or Harvey P. Lynn, who was at the Rand Corporation. And that's who Gene famously ha includes his memos during the cage, much less, you know, during the original series. So they're going back to their regular top line live action science advisor guy, <laughs> which, you know, yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, the funny thing for me, too, is that uh, it was a little... This, so this is the first time I've been on this show, and it's the it's also the first time I've seen historical science consulting documents from Star You're Trek. You're welcome. So this is fabulous. <laughs> and the thing I love about it is it was kind of assuring for me, who's I've been doing this not necessarily just for Star Trek, but I've been working in this industry now for a few years, and it was kind of assuring to me that these are kind of like what my comments look like. So it's like, whew, okay, I'm doing it right. <laughs> oh, good. We aim to please. We aim to serve. Yeah, yes. exactly. But, it, you know, it's, it is so funny. One of the things I love about this is that they, they point out sort of the, the dialogue. But also I think it's important as a science consultant to give a little bit of information of why you're editing it. You know, to say, okay, meteor... Meteors wouldn't necessarily be the right thing here. I wouldn't say meteoroids either, so you're getting ahead of what they would probably go to if you say not meteors. Um, and then a little bit of science there that they can ask for. And then kind of a fun fact and uh, saying that, you know, that there are a lot of these little rocks out in space. They wouldn't be glowing. And the ship probably knows how to deal with them. And uh, and all of that kind of packed together is a very easy way for writers to then take that note and do with it what they please. 
Right. And there's a whole dynamic to that with live action. But this brings to, for me to mind the fact that just as Dorothy is telling Dorothy Fontana, by the way, is telling all the writers and she's excited and she's telling the fans and the potential audience, hey, look, yes, it's Saturday morning animation, but and, and on a 60s, 70s scale, we're not limited now by visual effects. If we if we wanted to have a space battle, we could, but that's not the object of Star Trek. But any actual strange new worlds, in fact, we've got memos where she's saying to some of the writers that pitch stories, this would be a lovely original series episode, but hey, open it up, basically, you know. And so here's Harvey not even having to be constrained by that either. It's the same thing with the science. If it doesn't matter what you draw, you're going to put the same labor and time in, then draw something that's accurate, and no one's having to go spend two extra nickels on extra asteroids or the, that are the right size and color. Just draw it, you know? It's like it affects the science as well as it affects the story and the scope, right? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It seems like he's got a sense of that. Definitely. I would agree with that. And I think a lot of the, the role, especially for an animated series where, as you mentioned, it wasn't necessarily for kids. I think it's accessible to a lot of people. But with that mindset that there would be multiple generations watching, you definitely don't want to say something wrong. You know, this you don't want to leave people with the impression that there are meteors, glowing meteors out in space because there's not. And kids love space, so they will take that and run with it. Well, the thing, too, and I'm sure this is this is why I love having you on with this this memo, especially, is that now that we're back in animated realm and there's a whole sidebar to that, which is, I'm you know, people keep saying, why can't we buy action figures for Star Trek and Target and Walmart? We're going to have animated series if we can get the young if we can get that young generation indoctrinated <laughs> where we're not just relying on reproduction of existing Trek folks. <laughs> But, you know, if we're drawing in kids and, you know, across the – and we've got a Nickelodeon show that's not even all access now, too. And, and, yeah. and they're, different, they're different tones and flavors and, and demos, but still, that whole realm. But it's also a chance for you guys, the writers, and you, by extension, to do pull a little steam, stem, outreach, lay some seeds in there of interest. And, and the whole Star Trek awe and wonder – but do it with as ground, as well-grounded as you can. Absolutely, and it's ripe for it. You know, the Star Trek has always sort of had that older demographic, as in just teens and above. And like you said, it's for me especially, I didn't come from a Trek family, so it wasn't until I was really in, like, college that I really got immersed and exposed to Star Trek. And this is a great opportunity to just be a natural introduction to a younger generation through using animation and, by extension... Throw in a little bit of science. There's plenty of scientists out there, myself included, who were inspired by Star Trek, and this is a great opportunity for that. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's and it's a dynamic that happens in live action. Like I, I was just meant that it's freer, but as you said, um, you got to lay in a little lesson and a little fun fact because a lot of this, it takes a – and I want to talk more. Um, somehow I have a feeling we're going to have an extended discussion on this. <laughs> but it's not just, you know, science advisors to TV film – that's a very small subset in the Venn diagram of scientists because there is an element of the politic and there's an element of knowing what they want. And I would think even more rarefied is knowing what, even though you think animation is totally free, there's a lot of freedom in animation. It's still got to be you're trying to give them ideas to help them you know, accomplish both goals. Give some good science, some accurate science, and make an entertaining story and make it something that they can glom onto, especially... Right, right. and if they're very consciously saying we want to include some science in our stories, then that's my opportunity to say, okay, here's, you know, that sort of 
offhand idea you had about a planet. Let's make the planet like this. Let's, you know, let's play with the science there and just make sure we don't say anything wrong. I'm not there to write the story. That's, you know, uh, some rooms across Hollywood in general, they, they take different levels with science consultants where it's just, here's the script, give us notes all the way to, we want you in the room. We want you breaking story. You know, you can play many roles as a science consultant and uh, there's lots of ways to get those across. Well, that all comes from whoever's in charge, like whatever the vibe is set and what they want. And fans will pick audiences and then maybe fans will pick up on that vibe and, you know, hopefully welcome it. So is there anything um, and I want to talk about that down the line, but just as far as as Harvey Lane. So we're talking specifically here about the Lorelei signal, which was the sirens one where the women got to be in charge. Um, And then Mud's Passion, which is the animated Mud. Was there anything about either one of the – are you – were you a fan of the animated series or like just recently? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, I got into into Star Trek whole. The original one. I'm I'm using capital letters there. We have to be careful these days. So (laughs) the animated task, T-A-S. Right, right. Um, Yeah, I mean, it wasn't until later when I was really getting – where I was like, okay, no, Star Trek is my thing. This is something that I would like. Let me go and be a completionist and be a collector, as is my nature, and go and watch all of them. And, uh, you know, we kind of mentioned a little bit – I hadn't watched – I've watched all the animated series, but it's been a long time. There's a few that I go back and watch a little more often than others. These ones I definitely remembered at the beginning. I was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) I remember this episode. (laughs) Um, More mud, more funky drugs. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Anything, anything, uh, you were talking about the meteor, meteorite, the whole definition thing and explaining to a lay writer. Anything else in here that pops out is like, oh, my God, this is so old, it's new. I mean, it's like so typical and, you know, time means nothing. Well, all of the notes in general, I think, were really were really interesting. There's, you know, there are opportunities where, like I said, it was kind of a little bit of a mirror on how I've worked with people before. Uh, I think things like they mention different types of electromagnetic. They say we're not getting an electromagnetic signal. We're not getting a radio signal. And then the note is, those are the same thing. <laughs> so. Um, which is fine. That that sort of thing happens all the time. But one thing I did want to note, that there's a note after that where they mention the gravity. They give a gravity number that they say 0.058, and then the science note says, <laughs> it's, it's a classic well-actually moment of, that wouldn't work. <laughs> Too little gravity, yeah. It's too little. And so what I was doing when you gave me these notes and I went back and watched these was I was keeping an eye out for what they did with the notes in the final product. And most of these don't even make it as dialogue at all. We never see them actually mentioned. Um, They do change the gravity number, which I was pleased, from 0.058 to uh, 1.2. So the characters are not floating around at the time. They needed them to be anchored. Yeah. Exactly. Um, And I don't think when they threw out a lot of the dialogue that had notes on them, I don't think it was necessarily because, like, it didn't work. I think it's just when you're trying to trim a script, trying to describe the qualities of the planet or the atmosphere or the space environment you're in isn't really helping the story. So that's one of the first things to get trimmed. Yeah. And because a lot of his notes are saying, hey, it's it, he's doing a little teachable moment here all the way through. Hey, if you want to just like go one more degree and throw something out for the kids, how about get specific? Yeah. 
we've but we've also seen a totally different layer of this that Dorothy it was kind of she was fitting into another part of this mold of sa- Saturday morning routine was they weren't expecting Star Trek and she didn't even see late cuts of the shows in a lot of ways it was like just send in your script and then you go away and let the animation guys handle this and she really wow. was chomping at the bit to have more of a role of what she ought to, and the and the episodes would come out and there would be error there'd be Star Trek errors there'd be continuity errors and science if not errors at least um, things that could have been expanded on so if if a lot of Harvey Lynn's notes weren't taken part of that may have just been part of the the, the clunky process they didn't have a good process from start to finish and all this wow yeah no that makes sense yeah so I I mean again I thought you would be perfect to um, you know, we're not spoiling anything for the new shows past what's out no. there, the new animated. But just the excitement of having an animated show again. It's amazing to see how these are all 40, 50 years old. But exactly, <laughs> nothing has changed. Nothing has I know, changed. it was so funny. My last really quick comment on that, because it did make me laugh, was like, there was one note to change the dialogue from Earth type to like three lines worth of details on the planet. (laughs) There's no way that they're going to... And they didn't take that note. It stayed Earth-like. Isn't this why we invented the term Class M anyway? Exactly. Well, we're teaching the kids. We're teaching the kids. Listen, Aaron, this has been a delight to have you with us. Um, Can you come back some other time? We've got so much science-y stuff in Star Trek over the years to talk about. I would absolutely love to. Thank you so much. This has been a blast looking at these. Awesome, awesome. I'm glad we could... uh, give you some career reassurance too at the same time (laughs) thanks always needed (laughs) the truck files is produced by roddenberry entertainment executive producer rod roddenberry all of our documents and your chance to comment now are available at facebook.com slash the truck files now for more great podcasts check out podcast.roddenberry.com And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. That's me at LarryNimichek.com. Trek well, everybody. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.